ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 24 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To learn more about the exciting changes being made at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. We are on episode 127, and we are just chugging right along. These types of episodes that we do today are some of my favorite to do. It is providing information, hints and tips and strategies about using ComC. I love providing advice on how to use eBay, how to use Sport Lots, how to sell on Facebook Marketplace, and some of the strategies that I even use in the shop. But it's also a lot of fun to talk about strategies and tips and tricks that I use on ComC. I get questions all the time. You know, what cards should I sell on Sport Lots? What sh- cards should I sell on ComC? What do you? How do you decide what to list on eBay? And today, I sit down with Dr. Beckett, and we talk about some of the strategies that we use on ComC to make it more enjoyable as both a buyer and a seller. And I think that's an important thing to note. These strategies that we'll talk about today aren't just if you're a reseller, aren't just if you're a flipper, but we share some things that make it easier and more intuitive as a buyer and help you get some cheaper prices if you're just trying to buy and collect on ComC as well. And so Dr. Beckett and I sit down and talk through that. He actually approached me about this idea several weeks ago and said, hey, we're both sponsored by ComC. We're both heavy users of ComC. What if we just sit down and talk and share some of the things that we do to make ComC more user-friendly? And I said, that sounds like a great idea. So he's been breaking it up into smaller segments since Dr. Beckett's podcast is, is capped at about 15 minutes. I'm going to run our full conversation today. I'm going to go ahead and start that conversation as soon as I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. They break new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. And you can watch them break that product live on YouTube or in their physical shop in Knoxville, Tennessee. You can learn more about everything that Underdog has going on at udogcollect.com, and you can check out their Facebook community as well. Just search for the Underdogs, and wherever you find them, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. This is Ty Dillon, and you're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Well, thanks, Mike Summer, for being here, a Wax Pack Hero. Going to enjoy going back and forth with ComC Hacks, uh, how you optimize your not just financially, but enjoyment wise, you know, how are you getting the most out of ComC? And I'm going to share some of the things that I do, or maybe we can ask each other's questions, but uh, again, thanks for being on. And uh, what's your first hack, Mike? Uh, Guests go first. All right. Well, yeah, thanks again for having me on, you know, uh, ComC is a platform that I found um, upon my return to the hobby in 2015. And so I've loved getting involved both buying and selling. So yeah, there's a few hints and tips and tricks along the way that that I've been able to come up with that make life easier for me on ComC. And I think the first one that I would share 
when it comes to buying, because that's how I got started is getting on there and buying cards I wanted for my collection is to take advantage of the ability to make offers. And one of the things I would add on along with that is, but before you'd make an offer, take a look to see if that seller has other cards you're interested in as well, because I've found that often that seller is willing to accept that offer if you're trying to buy multiple things from him versus just one random card. You read my mind. Yeah. If I get an offer for one card, I kind of scrutinize that. If it's an offer for 10 cards, I'm thinking, well, I, I don't want to take an offer on one, but these other nine I will. And so I, I go with the flow. That's a good suggestion. Okay. My question for you, which is a little, I, I will disclose mine, but what, how do you determine how much money to retain in your account? What is your optimum? Do you leave, uh, you know, dozens of dollars, hundreds of dollars? I mean, what, uh, I, I was going to ask you first, but may, maybe this is a hack. So I put in, I leave enough money in there. So if something came up with a port that I might be interested, I could pay with money within the system because you don't want to be putting new money into the system. That is a negative hack. If you got to put new money in, then getting it out, you're going to take a little bit of a haircut. So I leave money in there. What's your strategy, Mike? I would say it is similar. I, I'm usually leaving at least hundreds in there because I try to go with the philosophy of having my CompC account be somewhat self-contained. So I made an initial deposit when I was first trying it out. And then I made another deposit the first time I ever submitted cards to cover those processing fees. But since then, I've never submitted or I've never had to deposit any additional money. Everything that I've sent in to be processed, everything I've bought on the site has all been paid for through my sales subsequently. So I, I don't withdraw to a point where I might need to deposit again because I don't want to pay that withdrawal fee. And I also don't want to put additional deposits, be subject to sales tax and things like that now. So I try to leave a pretty hefty balance there on the site to be able to cover future submissions and um, cards that I am looking forward to buy. Like you mentioned ports, that's something that I've not gotten a lot of involvement with yet at this point. I'm still trying to kind of figure out that whole aspect of the site, but I definitely err or lean towards that side of having a bigger account balance or leaving more money on the site to handle those future purchases and submissions. So you're saying, as I'm saying, is that I, I trust ComC enough that I'm not worried about leaving money in there. I'm not trying to clean it out at the end of the month, worrying that they are not trustworthy with the money. It's, it's my account. I'm going to draw it down as I need. Okay. That's good. Yep. Okay. Your turn again. I was curious on, you know, you, you've got cards that you're looking for, that you're interested in, you, that you try to investigate or research or try to understand when and if they're going to become available for purchase on ComC. I was curious on what strategy you use to find or be alerted of the cards you're looking for if they come available. That is available and I have not availed myself of that. And it's partly because I, <laughs> I, I, I'm scared that if I put down all the cards that I would love to have, that I'd, I'd be overwhelmed. 
so basically I'm trying to be, I've given myself permission to just kind of be more random walk. You know, when I'm looking around there, I'll see something. The main time I see things that I buy is when I'm looking to post uh, cards of my own. And I'm looking at that and I'll see, hey, I, I wouldn't mind having that at that price. So, so it's more, uh, it's uh, less, of, less of it being pushed to me and more, more finding. So, but I, I think it's an excellent service. If I really was way more of a player collector, or at least the cards I needed were more, were, were less exotic, uh, I would do, I, I think ComC is a great place to do that. Yeah, I think the, the tip that I've got for people who are looking to do that, if they're down to a specific card that they're looking for, you know, there's no direct alert feature on ComC. There, there's no way to really subscribe to a specific card to be notified when that's added. But because they now list every card on eBay, you can leverage the eBay alert functionality to be notified when something's added to eBay and then look up to see if that's a ComC item or not to then be able to go back to your ComC account to, to buy it directly. And so you can use that eBay alert functionality as a workaround to be notified when ComC actually adds that card you're looking for. Okay. Um, okay, my turn. What, uh, what do you think the, what's the best strategy for you in terms of uh, allowing offers? Do you allow offers at 50%? 90% or anything or no offer. Some, some sellers say, I don't want to accept offers. It's, it's my price. I th the strategy that I used to use, and, and I, to be honest, I'm not sure that I've adjusted it yet, is I used to have auto accept on at a, a pretty decent clip because there was a point where if you sold it on eBay or Amazon, they automatically took a, a cut off the top. And so I always went with the mindset was if I'm willing to let it sell on eBay or Amazon and take that hit, I'll accept an offer automatically. Um, that, was the 80, that was the 80% rule, wasn't it? That was the 80% rule. And then I think I go down to 65 or 70% of an of a asking price is what I will listen to that offer at. And my, mind, my main philosophy there is typically I'm trying to price cards and be one of the cheaper options listed. And so I'm already um, pricing to be competitive and I'll listen to a lower offer, but um, if it's down to a 10 or 20 or 30% type offer, a real low ball, I don't even want to mess with it. And so that's why I do have a minimum on there, but um, I think I've got my auto accept still somewhere in that 80% range. That's, uh, I've always thought that, uh, when somebody makes me an offer, why are they offering at the lowest possible offer price? It, it, it gets my attention if somebody doesn't offer at the minimum offer, they offer a little bit more. Uh, do you feel the same way? I figure, I don't know. I mean, I think to some extent I will test that myself when buying. You know, I will, I will make an offer of, of something that I think is, is fair or competitive. If it's a card that I'm interested in, but I don't have to have. Sometimes I'll I'll make a lower offer just to see where where they're at from an auto accept perspective. But at the same time, you know, I've offered sometimes 95% of what they're asking for and still got declined. So um, you just never know. I think is the is the reason you said you don't when you post your cards for sale, you don't necessarily try to be the absolute lowest. Is that because of if they made an offer? 
an offer could be at a lower price than somebody else that's listed? Yeah, that's part of it. Sometimes it's because I know that I'm going to be planning to have a sale and run a promotion for an extended period of time. Um, you know, that gets into one of the other tips I had as a seller is to have a strategy, right? And so some cards that are not frequent movers, um, but have some value to them, I've found that sometimes you might want to be the lowest because if, if it doesn't sell through at a fast rate, you, you need to be on that lower end if you want to have a chance to sell on the card. But there are some cards that are, you look at that sales volume and it is just humming right along. And I'm, I might, you know, you look at that and you say, well, I could be the 10th cheapest, but they're selling at 30 or 40 cards a quarter, right? And so it's not going to take too long before I might become the cheapest on into the future. Uh, so it really just kind of depends. And then there's some cards that I'm looking at this from a long-term view and I don't care if I sell it this year, I'd be okay selling it three or four years from now. And so I might have that card priced even, even more expensively um, just depending on what it is, but it all fits into a specific strategy. It's not just randomly assigning a price to, to a card. Uh, the patient flipper. You're willing to wait three or four years. I'm willing to wait eight years now. I've, I've reduced my horizon to eight years. Uh, when you post some cards and you put up a bunch of cards, you sent in and they're, they've listed them and now you have to price them. Or What I do is I order them. I generally put them in age order. I do the oldest ones. So I kind of put them in sequence. So I'm doing all the same set all in a row and it's otherwise they present it to you in the order that they enter them. And that's not necessarily in exactly the same order because it, it could jump around depending on the mix of what I sent them. And again, it's amazing that they can, you know, that they, you know, I sent them all these miscellaneous cards. They've got to figure out what they are, scan them and put them in there. But for me, I've got to, I've got to remember that, well, okay, now I'm, I, I get into a pricing philosophy of certain set, and, you know, do that. So do you do anything different or is that kind of what you do if you submit a? That's a, that's a good question. I honestly have never reordered the list of cards that are there for me to price. I've just kind of worked them from top to bottom. And I'll typically do some combination of looking at the, the other listed cards from that, from that item or from that set to get a feel for what it should be priced at and comparing to, eBay, if it's something where I've got a Com C monopoly and I want to make sure that I'm pricing it somewhat competitively and don't have another frame of reference on site already. And so typically I'll, I'll balance some combination of the other inventory that's already on Com C for that set and card and um, eBay for, for where I'm going to go. But as far as ordering, I've never really even messed with reordering the, the list of cards that I need to price. Well, what I find the problem is if you're putting something in there that does that there you're the only one on the site. Well, then you got to figure what am I going to price that at? And uh, are you saying you go look at eBay to see if that particular card's on eBay, even if it's not on Com C, and then you price accordingly? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Or if it's um, you know sometimes if it's a certain insert set and I'm not entirely sure if it's one of the more rare insert sets or if it's one of the more common insert sets and I happen to be the only, uh, have the only item of that player, I'll look at 
that set itself on ComC to see, oh, the other nine from that set are selling for $2. I've got the star. I might be able to sell it for a few more. Or it's, oh, there's only three listed from this set and they're all listed at $50 each. That gives me a good frame of reference of, of where I need to be on it. Those might be my cards, Mike. I don't know. <laughs> I have, I've, I've released a bunch of my inserts of players I don't collect as much into the ComC world and, and the players collectors don't like it other than they have the choice to find it at a cheaper price if, if they can. Uh, okay, your turn. This is your turn now. All right. One of the, the tips that I would have for people, especially if you want to do some flipping on the site, is switch your account into advanced reseller mode. And what that does is it removes the automatic 25 cent handling fee that's assigned to every card and allows you to pick up um, cards pretty cheap. There's one of my favorite things to do on the site is to flip penny cards for well more than a penny. And I will sometimes post a a screenshot of, of something like that. And people are always asking, how do you find a card for a penny? You know, 26 or 28 cents is the cheapest that I'm seeing anything. And it's like, cause you're not in advanced reseller mode. So you've got that 25 cent per card load already built in. So if you flip to advanced reseller mode, if you're going to do a lot of flipping, it allows you to buy and sell those and turn those cards over without that extra charge. And then you just ultimately pay that 25 cents if you actually have a card shipped back to you. Right. So as long as you don't ship it back, you you got a penny. And for somebody to compete with you, they got to pay 50 cents to list it. And yep. so if you're, you're obviously going to be the lowest person on the site, but you bought it at a penny. What do you move? What do you mark it up to? 51 cents or? So that gets... That gets to the other strategy that I'll go ahead and share, even though I'll share it, even though it probably is somewhat to my detriment, but I do this a lot with some of the um, cards that are part of the EPAC program. I will buy those cards for a penny or two pennies. I'll buy as many as I can, and then I'll reprice them for about 38 or 39 cents, which I believe translates to about a dollar on eBay. And so that's kind of the the threshold for where it will hit that minimum listing price on eBay. And the way it works is then if somebody buys it on eBay, whether I have it listed for three cents or whether I have it listed for 38 cents, they're still paying come see a dollar for that card. And so I might as well, you know, keep that float for myself and take that, take that chance to, to wait it out. Um, and then if I'm buying enough of them, I'm buying enough inventory sometimes on those um, EPAC cards where I might own 60, 70% of the cards on the site. And I've bought enough of them and repriced them all up to that new 38 cent threshold. And so that's, that's one of the ways that I've, I've gone about that. And so sometimes it's a penny and I sell it for 38 cents. Sometimes I pay 20, 25 cents for it and sell it for 38 cents. But in the grand scheme of things, when you average it all out, it's, it's done well for me over time, but you have to be patient. Yeah, but a a patient at a penny, it's not like you got a lot in it. (laughs) And a lot of upside, obviously, other than the fact that it it may not sell. It may just sit there. I mean, that's not everything sells every month. What, uh, you know, but if you're putting it for people that are putting in uh, or building up their inventory on ComC, it's 50 cents a card now, the cheapest to to put it in there. Is there a lowest uh, price card? Would you would you put a dollar card in? Would you pay fifty cents to list a card at a buck if you thought it would sell within some time frame? 
typically that is about the minimum that I look to submit at this point is, is about a buck. And I will, depending on what I've bought it at, you know, sometimes um, if I'm buying out a collection and my average cost on this collection is a couple pennies a card, I will go ahead and send it in to come see if it's something that I don't have a lot of traction for at the shop or I'm not going to be able to do much with because I figure my actual cost of the card is two or three cents. I'm going to pay 50 cents to get it listed. If I can sell it for a buck, buck 25, there's still enough you know, room in there, enough profit for me. And in the long run, those, those extra quarters add up. And so um, typically that dollar is the, the threshold that I'm using when I send something in. Yeah. I, the other thing is when I'm getting ready to send something in and I see that there's only one on the site and it's at a quarter, well, then I could just buy it for a quarter, you know, instead of paying 50 cents to put another one in there and compete with the person at a quarter. Yep. So would you do, you do the same thing? Would you just take the quarter? Yeah, I, I will. I would typically, yeah, I would typically do something like that if there's if there's a card that's in that in that range. Um, I, I was curious from your perspective, especially if you've got any kind of inventory, you might be priced competitively at one point, but a few months later, you might not be competitive anymore. You know, and, and so whether it's things that are going up or things that are coming down in price do you have a strategy on how often you go through your inventory and adjust prices? Yeah, this is, this is, I, I was afraid of this when, when we were talking about doing this episode, I'm going to, you're going to give away some of your secrets. I'm going to give away some of mine. I'll tell you, Mike, when I do it is when somebody makes an offer, when they make an offer, that means I'm going to look at the offer and I'm going to say, wait a minute, I priced this card years ago. And, uh, that was an old price. It's really gone up and they're making me an offer. And I, I feel like I I'm, I'm way out of line. They should have just bought the card. And so one out of 10 cards or so I'll, I'll wind up raising my price and declining the offer, which I think is my prerogative. I don't like doing it because I think it makes people mad, but that if, if it's a low price to try to get it a little bit cheaper is, is maybe not smart for them. So so yeah, I hear you, but just combing through my cards, it's, it's, it's hard to do that. I, I probably have too many to do that in any, even in a systematic way. But if somebody brings to att attention of an insert set or a player that's gone up, I'll do it. The other problematic thing that you raised that, I, that I'd like you to speak to is that I don't really do sales, but a lot of people do. And so some of the times I priced my cards in line with a current sale that later is rescinded or, or expires. And now I've been matching a price or, or competitive with a price that was half or, you know, some really drastic reduction. Then I think, wait a minute, how did my price get so low? I was responding to that. So do you have that same thing? Or are you one of the sales guys? I don't run perpetual sales. There's, I will usually always take advantage of the free sale promotions that the site gives, you know, usually one or two times a year. And then maybe one or two other times a year, I will, will run a, pro, a promotion just to try to clear some things out. Um, you know, they've adjusted that, uh, the, the cost or the, the commission fee and the fee structure for those promotions now 
um, to a point where I just don't want to do them all that often. You pay a little lower percentage, but there's a bigger upfront fee depending on how many cards you have. And I'm somewhere around 80,000 cards now in inventory. And so it's, um, it can be, it can add up a little bit to start with. I usually run, it, it probably averages to two or three promotions a year. You mentioned velocity of sales. That's one of the things if you use, I guess it's the history points, you can see what, how many cards have sold, you know, by quarter in the last years or whatever it's been. Do you look at that a lot? Because I look at it some when I think it's appropriate, but if something is selling, uh, if none have sold in the last four years, that's a, that's an indicator. Yeah. I look at it quite a bit. I use that quite a bit to, to get a feel for both what I want to send in and then also, you know, where I need to price something at. Yeah. So if you're getting ready to sell a car, if you're going to put a card on there and when you decided to put it on there, there were none of them on there, but it's like, a, say it's a more new, a newer player and uh, a newer set, you know, last year or two and all, there was nothing on there. And then by the time you were posting it, there were two cards at say $2 and one at 50 cents. And you're convinced this is a $2 card. What do you do? Typically, I will go ahead and price that at probably somewhere around $1.90. And so when that one that's super low sells, I'll be the next lowest on there, but I'll be real close to that $2 that I wanted to get out of it. Okay. I do that, but I also will give strong consideration to buying the card at 50 cents. Sure. And moving it to a buck ninety or buck eighty, buck seventy, whatever. Uh, you know, buck seventy is a price I'm using a little more these days, because when you add on the quarter, it's under two bucks. Yep. And I've seen people doing that. Yeah, that's something that I definitely do. If there's, if it was a as drastic of an example as you just shared, where you'd be able to essentially triple your your money on it, um, that is something that I would for sure do. You know, if it was, you know listed at a buck 40 or a buck 50 and I wanted to be at $2, I might do the, you know, the dollar 90. But yeah, if there's examples where it's just one card between me and that next floor, yeah. And it can be a, a double or a triple. That's definitely a good candidate for one to go ahead and buy the other one that's there and now own two of that four inventory. Well, the logic is if I was willing to pay 50 cents to list it, why wouldn't I be willing to pay 50 cents or less to acquire it and just, you know, move it over to, to my account? Um, you talked, you talked about the, the using a dollar 70 um, a lot lately. Um, and something else that I wanted to hit on, or I think is important for people to know if they're not aware when you're dealing with cards on the lower end, like we're discussing right now is that there's a storage fee associated with holding cards that are priced above 75 cents with a basic account or above $2.50 with kind of the advanced um, upgraded account. And so I, I often will see people that have cards priced at 78 cents or 80 cents or something like that. And they're paying theoretically a penny a month in storage fees for those cards unless they have that upgraded account where the same thing applies at $2.50. And so I was wondering how often that type of thing comes into play for your considerations, or if you observe that same thing in other cards as you're, you know, scanning inventory that's out there. 
okay, I'm just, I'm just dying here. You're just uncovering my secrets. Um, <laughs> I will look, uh, I'll sort my inventory by, uh, by uh, storage fee, you know, by inverse price, by the lowest price of those cards that are paying a storage fee. And I'm looking, do I have any cards that are, because I, I, you know, I pay 50 bucks a month to get the $2.50 threshold. Okay. So I'm not going to have any cards at $2.55. I've seen them there, but they're not mine. Right. Or two sixty dollars or two sixty-five. dollars So I'm looking at those. Uh, there's no reason to, you know, because just in a few months, you've, you, you've lost your edge. In fact, at three bucks or three fifty dollars or four, after you've been in there for a few years, you know, you're thinking, you know, if I did it at two fifty, I'm going to net the same thing. So, and you may have sold it already, right? And, and you, you may, have, may have been able to turn it over. Arguably, wouldn't have sold it slower. So, yeah. So I think those are um, the, those are considerations. And people, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder what's going on. I agree. I wonder what's going on. But then, you know, there's that's the beauty of Com C. It's 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 very democratic in the sense that it's you know, the seller can do what they want to do. The buyer can do what they want. And uh, do you draw comfort from the fact that there's no messaging between anonymous buyers and anonymous sellers when, you know, I'm not, I hope you're not going to out me, but you intentionally, I think, have a, you know, a name on there that's, right. you know, personified with you. Yep. So do people message you and say, hey, cut me a break, because I get that sometimes. And, um, you know, the beauty of Comp C is that it is semi-anonymous if you want it to be. Yeah, I think it, I think there's pros and cons that come with that. You know, I, I, I do have Waxpack Hero as my username, and, and I try to keep that as consistent as, as possible, both for the, the content side and my, my sales side is just part of my overall brand. Um, I haven't had a lot of people reach out specifically for items on ComC, but I have on things I have listed on eBay or those other other platforms. There's part of me that likes that ComC is a little bit independent of that. There's other times I know as a as a buyer that I found sellers that have multiple things that I'm interested in, but for some reason don't have offers turned on at all, or there's just there's a reason that I'd love to be able to have a conversation about. Uh, obtaining multiple items from them. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I think there's something kind of nice about not necessarily having to also respond to messaging within the platform as well. You know, I've heard Tim, I think Tim's a great guy, you know, and he's sharp and everything. And he wants, he's a collector. He wants to do the right thing. But do you feel like I, I think that 90% of the complaints against ComC are about shipping and I don't really, I, I bundle my shipping, you know, just every, it's rare. And so if you're not really shipping your cards home, then are there complaints for ComC other than very minor things? Because otherwise I'm, I'm hearing how much, how many customer service people they have. And it must be, where, where's my shipment? Yeah, I think it sounds like a lot of the, the customer service volume that they're getting is due and connected to the delayed shipping times that, that we're seeing. Um, if anything, I think I've been very happy with the processing times. You know, they've extended the expectation a little bit, but um, just recently I sent in about 1,800 cards to get, um, to get submitted and I just used the basic service 
and they were due at the end of September, but they're already over half done. And, and we're here just at the beginning of July. And so I've been very happy with the, the processing side of things. I've never had issues with any kind of payouts or withdrawals. You know, nothing like that has been an issue. And so, yeah, I mean, I think right now the biggest pain point that they're feeling is, is with shipping. And I'm like you, I typically only would request one or two shipments a year of, you know, of, of all the stuff that I bought. I just kind of bundle it all up and save it up and only get one or two shipments a year. And so um, nothing, because I also trust them, you know, I haven't felt the need to have to make a purchase and have it sent to me right away. I've been comfortable in just kind of letting those things accumulate. They're all things for my PC. They're not things I'm trying to flip in person or anything like that. So I've just been kind of saving things up during this period of, of delayed shipments. Well, you know what? I just, I, mean, I think you're very savvy in the hobby. I try to be up to speed on things, but basically I'm trying to figure out, again, there's an incentive. I mean, I, I, if they just thought, hey, ComC is my vault, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's my vault. They're not ch charging me anything to hold my cards there. Uh, they're going to ship them eventually. Um, if they really wanted to flip them, they can flip them on ComC. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out if, if they just thought, you know what, ComC is way behind on shipping. I'm going to consider alternatives to having them ship it to me. I'm going to repost it on ComC. Uh, or I'm going to tell my friend to join ComC and buy it from me. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a special offer from them or something. Uh, but if, and if it's just for your PC, it's your vault. It's, it's, it's a vault. It's there. Otherwise, you're just going to get frustrated because, you know, anybody that's run. And one of the things I think it's interesting that, that I enjoy hearing you talk about is when you bought a million card inventory. When, yeah. when, when that happens you have a completely different perspective about the volume of the industry. Now you got to multiply by many times to get to Com C. Pulling an order, if somebody said, "Hey, Mike, I know you bought those million cards. I want one card from this set, and one card from this set, and one card from this set. This sport, this other sport," you would uh, that that that's it's mind-boggling. And so, how they're able to pull orders, and I, I guess they're adding equipment and stuff like that. Um, I just, you know, with, with our company, we, other than grading, which is complicated, the magazines, we're just, how many magazines do you want? What, right. what issue, what sport? So uh, my hat's off to the, the grading companies and Com C that are, uh, uh, that are pulling these orders, even the auction companies, they have a finite number of auction lots. And if you win, they're going to mail it to you and they're going to charge you the postage, but pulling an order that I want one from over here, one from over there. That's just, I would say if ComC does start giving tours, that'll be something that it, it could benefit them because it could really reduce their, their customer service complaints. When people see it, they say, oh my goodness, I had no idea the, the scale of this. The complaint that they're not hiring people fast enough when they're hiring you know, a person a day or something or more, 50 people in a month. 
Yeah, it's it's um, you know they're definitely scaling up. I think the same thing applies even when you submit cards and the level of knowledge and expertise that it takes to get all of these random cards thrown together in a box and be able to properly identify and categorize that card and some of the more obscure things. It's it's a lot that goes into that, and it's uh, I I can only imagine um what it takes to do that. And that, you know, they've got some, some good people with, with deep knowledge and broad knowledge that, that are able to make that happen. You send in a card and they reject it for whatever reason, not supported, something like that. If it's a cheaper card, what do you do? Because now all of a sudden you maybe had to pay for them to list it as not supported and you maybe have to pay for them to ship it back to you or they'll give you an option. You can just contribute it to charity. So I do charity if it's if I think it's not a very expensive card. What do you do? I have only had that happen a couple times. Um, honestly, only a couple times in the in the last few years. Um, and typically, I've had it shipped back to me. Um, there were a couple. The the ones that it happens to me most often are more obscure vintage type stuff where I didn't know exactly what it is or if it's authentic or not authentic. I'm not sure. So I wanted somebody else's opinion on it and it would come back as unsupported or they weren't able, you know, it, it just, it, it didn't have any kind of authenticity to it. Um, it wasn't confirmed as inauthentic. And so if it was, it could have some significant value to it. And so I just had it sent back to me and maybe at some point I'll go, um, a BGS route or a PSA route or SGC or some other avenue to be able to try to gain some authenticity for it. So mo- more often than not, that's the type of thing that I've had um, come into play. If it's something that's really not worth much, or it doesn't appear that even if it is supported would be worth all that much, that's I'm not usually going to even send that that kind of stuff in. You definitely enjoy vintage and you definitely have a threshold of condition level that you're looking for when you're buying vintage. I was wondering, you know, when, when you look and find vintage cards on Com C, there are the same card will have multiple listings of, you know, in multiple categories of condition that the site has assigned to it, but it's not always super consistent. There can be things that are good, very good, where the card looks fantastic and others in different categories that look way worse, but are at a much higher price. I was curious if you had any hints or tips or strategies that you use when looking for one of those vintage cards and, and finding the best card for the best price when it, when there can be such a wide range of, of actual condition categories. Well, this isn't just a problem for Com C. It's a problem in the whole hobby. And, and so we're mainly talking about ungraded raw cards Yep. Uh, and not, necessarily super valuable cards but still very collectible whether it be a five if it was graded or a three or a seven uh it's hard to tell from the image and so i think what's happening which i think is going to turn out to be a good thing is that eye appeal is really all you got with com c you've got scan eye appeal you're going to look at the scan and if it looks pretty nice I guess I'm, maybe I've had some cards rejected for that, but I think if I've priced it at a VG price and they say it's VGX and, um, and it looks and it's pretty well centered and the corners are not horrible, 
that's a good collectible card in, in the 50s. And so I've sold some of those. And so I think the notion of eye appeal is healthy uh, for, for raw cards. If you want to get it graded to know the nuance and the exact centering and corner and edges and surface, that's one thing. But just to say, I want a nice collectible card in my collection to complete my set. And so I'm really trying to, of course, it's, you know, you it can't price the holder. There is no holder. You're just pricing the card. And, um, but people are buying, maybe they're, maybe it's price the card, not the scan, you know, but if I look at the card and it's got, if I flip it over on the back, which I'm sometimes I'm lazy and I don't, but if it's, if it's got a big problem on the back, now that's, that's a headache, but if it doesn't and it's presentable on the front, I think people are going to be, I think those are going to be cards that do well and do well on comp C. So so that's my, the, the, it's problematic because like you said, there's so many buckets they can put it in. And if you've got to check them all, um, you, again, if it's, if it's in great condition or terrible condition, it's easier. If it's something in the middle, that's, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. I'll typically what do you, do? Are you, are you, you just, you just price according to what you feel or are you trying to undercut or trying to be, you know, the patient, patient seller like we've talked yeah when i'm buying i will often just use i appeal as as the biggest driver and i'll check a few of those different condition categories just to get a feel because there can be some significant overlap in them as a seller i'll typically look for some that look similar based on the images that are on there and then try to price similar some of that vintage type stuff is are things where i will be pricing more along the lines of what it looks like a similar eye appeal card is going to have to the others on there versus trying to be the lowest or anything like that. Yeah. You could be the lowest within your condition category, but then there's a, you know, a lesser condition, you know, group and what some of those look just as nice. Yep. So yep. I think it's, it's, uh, it's problematic, but it's uh, it adds a dynamic element that allows people if they if they do their homework and and really study it, uh, there's some bargains there. There's some bargains there. I agree. Okay, do you take advantage of downloading the spreadsheet of your past sales and doing some analytical work there of what's selling and all that? I've done that a little bit. I probably it's it it's a uh, it's a little bit of a chore. I think there's some you know, the, the mining, the big data there's, but do, do you do that very often? I don't do it from the perspective of analyzing which cards are selling. I do it more from a, a financial or accounting purposes, um, tax purposes and those types of things to be able to capture my sales, my fees and all of that type of stuff where I can filter by um, category and, you know, doing some of those types of things. So I definitely take advantage of the downloadable spreadsheets, but it's more from a tax financial purpose than it is for uh, analyzing the, the categories, sports or, or players or anything like that. Uh, you're a finance guy. Yep. And, uh, but I don't know that you're a tax guy. Are you a tax guy? Because I'm just wondering whether the ComC records that you could provide would be helpful in an audit. I think that, so I'm not a tax professional by, by any means. I, I use a CPA, um, but the when I showed her the data that I can get 
from those ComC transactions, she found it very helpful when pulling together my overall um, business uh, business statements and things like that for the for tax purposes. What's the highest price card you would put on ComC? That's a good question. Uh, let me clarify it because it, I'll give a tip of what I do because it's supposed to be tips and hacks and things. You know, I don't want to put a, a valuable card on there that's not consistent with other cards on there. Even though I know it'll, it could eventually wind up in eBay, I, I want to put things on there that people could reasonably go to ComC to search for. So if there are other cards in the set, uh, nevertheless, I'm probably not putting rare Jordan inserts, you know, that, that probably are more suitable for auction. Um, so it's not the actual dollar price as much as is it is it in the right neighborhood? Is it is it is there proximity to other cards that because I, I think ComC is a set a set builder's dream. Yep. And so if they're looking, I, I get several people buy several cards from an insert set and um, and whether they're more expensive or less expensive, they 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 can they can make an offer or buy them all. So that's more what I go by. How about you? I think for me the the approach that I use especially when I'm submitting cards is I will typically use ComC for cards between kind of that one to 21 to $25 range. I typically have found that things that are above that, I will go ahead and list myself on eBay because I probably want to get that money a little bit quicker and be able to, you know, recirculate it back into a, another purchase or another collection. So when I, when I come into cards that are in that $50, $100, $200 range, I'll typically list those just direct on eBay because I want to get that money back quicker and I don't want to wait for the processing and, and the time that it takes to, to get it up there. Um, I'm less patient on that level of card than I am for these kind of $1 to $20, $1 to $25 type cards. And so that's, that's usually the threshold that I'll use. Um, I've probably sold some cards that are above that. You know, there's exceptions to that rule. I've probably bought and relisted cards directly on the site that are outside of that window. But when it comes to me submitting something, I'm usually sticking to that one to twenty twenty five dollar range. Yeah, I'll go above that. You know, like I said, if I if I if there are others in the in the in the in the in the already on, so that's nothing. Well, my last one is if I was listing a whole bunch of cards from one set, let's say a hundred cards that are kind of buck 70 cards, you know, they're filling in, it's not an easy set, but not a hard set, but it's, you know, something. And so all the cards, so I have a hundred of them and they're all going to be priced at a buck 70. Do you know the hack for how to enter 170 without typing in the numbers? I don't know how you can do it across the board. I will, I will often control C or command C and copy. And so that I can just hit the paste and enter, and then it skips okay. to the next one and paste and enter, paste and enter um, over and over and over. Okay. There's a better way. Okay. Uh, basically you put in a dollar 1.70 enter, and then it automatically puts you down in the next one. If you sequenced them and you hit enter, enter. Oh. Or no, you put star, star. Okay. Star, star, enter. And it what it does is it it repeats the price from the, the last price that you did. So you got to be careful. But 
you know, so to go buck 70, buck 70, buck 70, it's just star, star, enter, star, star. Actually, it's star, star. You don't even have to do the enter. Okay. I was not aware of that. Uh, well, that's enough hacks for today. Thanks, uh, thanks, Mike. Any last thoughts? Uh, again, we love ComC. I think it's a lot of fun and it's not perfect, but I think they're trying to make it better. And, and that's all we can ask for. Yeah, I'd say this, the same thing. I've really enjoyed my experience using the site. I've been able to add cards. I actually used ComC to pick up the 1968 Nolan Ryan rookie that I needed to, to finish off my 1968 set. And so I've had the comfort of even using it for, for cards like that. Um, and I, like I said, we were talking about earlier, I've enjoyed turning pennies into quarters on the, on the site as well. And it, there's a, there's a piece of that that I just really enjoy both the, the buying and the selling aspect. There's an opportunity to utilize some strategy and test and all of those things that I enjoy. So uh, yeah, I can't say enough enough good things about the site, and uh, I, I'm very confident that they'll continue to work through some of these these shipping issues and things that they've run into over the the last couple months. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike Summer, Wax Pack Hero. Uh, we'll be we'll both be back <laughs> with more episodes uh, in the future. I hope this was helpful. Uh, we wanted it to be helpful. Uh, more sellers and more buyers on ComC is is uh we we welcome that so and i think tim does too <laughs> so thanks everybody be back again tomorrow with another episode the sports card shop is your small town local card shop with the global reach located in new buffalo michigan the shop is one of the most accessible in the midwest in addition to being an authorized panini direct dealer the sports card shop carries all major trading card brands including tops upper deck Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, and more. With all that new wax, a half million singles, and showcases full of graded cards, you're sure to find something great for your collection, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned collector. The Sports Card Shop is your one-stop shop. So call us, come see us, or visit us on the web and social media. Our phone number is 269-469-0140. Website is thesportscardshop at moco.com. The Sports Card Shop is part of the MoCo Retail Group, connecting sports, the hobby, and people around the world. Well, if you wanted to step up your ComC game, then that was a conversation for you. I hope you picked up on it. just felt like two friends talking about how they use ComC. And so I really enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Beckett, and I hope that you did too. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Follow me on Instagram or TikTok at waxpackhero. I'd love to know what you think. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I'd really appreciate it. Well, that's all I've got for you today, so I'll catch you next time. <laughs>